by the name of Marshall Brain. He, was a, he was, used to be a professor at the uh, University of North Carolina. Uh, he created the website How Stuff Works. You might be familiar with that. Um, sold it years ago, made his boatload of money on it. It started back in the late 90s. He has a new website, or newer. It's been around for a while. It's called Why Won't God Heal Amputees? You heard of it? Why Won't God Heal Amputees? And he's a very sharp man. He's a computer scientist. And you think about someone, he's an atheist, you think about someone who is trying to discredit God, trying to dismantle God. What a great idea. Why won't God heal amputees? Because there's no record anywhere in Scripture of God healing an amputee, with the possible exception of when Peter swiped Malchus's ear off. Remember that in the Garden of Gethsemane? Peter went like this, cut the servant of the high priest's ear off. And Jesus touched his ear, you know, poof, put it back on. But you th typically we think of an amputee, someone loses a leg, a, a hand, an arm, and all, everything kind of heals over. So a year down the road or six months down the road when the limb is no longer present, there's never any instance in Scripture of God healing someone like that, nor to my knowledge, any verified miracle like that in all of history. And Brain knows that. He's not going to wrestle with something like cancer or diabetes, which might be healed through medicine or body's own immune system, something other than, in other words, there's, there's no blood test to be able to verify that a person who claims to have cancer healed was healed by divine power and result of prayer. Someone whose MS symptoms are no longer apparent and appears to be healed, uh, you say, well, 50 people were praying for me all over the world. Well, that may be. Is that really how you were healed? Or was it medicine that healed you? Was some, you see what I'm saying? He's sharp enough to know this is one thing you can't fake. And this is one thing that's never been done. So he says, God doesn't heal, prayer doesn't work, because God isn't. And I have talked, been a pastor long enough and talked to enough believers who have anguished over themselves or someone who has not been healed and they see these pictures in scripture scratching their heads to know that this issue is a critic can be a critical issue of faith and trust in God when things don't pan out the way we hope Luke chapter 5 let me pray for us we really need prayer this morning and then we'll read read these verses together Father God, I, I pray especially for those who are here this morning who are battling themselves some kind of illness and want so much to be healed and no doubt have prayed maybe for months, even years for healing. And up till now, it seems as if heaven is silent. And it would be 
tragic if they would leave this place this morning with their hopes dashed completely. And it would be tragic if they would leave this place this morning um, believing that you don't care about them or convinced that if you did, the only response for you would be to heal them. And they may have as many or even more questions than I do. My greatest plea this morning is not for answered questions, but for peace and trust in all of our lives. And to see that there are some things that are more majestic and more glorious and more remarkable than a body that feels better today and where the bacteria is gone, the germs have been eradicated, that there are some things that are more glorious and more amazing and more of a tribute to you than the body being repaired. And so help us. I pray that you would bind the enemy this morning who loves to mock us, to mock you, who loves to um, make uh, the claims of a professor brain and others into taunts. So we pray that you would silence him this morning, that you would bind him this morning. And instead you would set the Holy Spirit loose for your glory, in Jesus' name, amen. Luke chapter five, beginning of verse 17. <clears throat> One day while Jesus was teaching some Pharisees, uh, teaching some Pharisees and teachers of religious law were sitting nearby. It seemed that these men showed up from every village in all Galilee and Judea, as well as from Jerusalem. And the Lord's healing power was strongly with Jesus. That is just, to me, one of the most intriguing lines in all the New Testament. Because you think, well, of course it was strong. He's God, come in the flesh. He's the God-man. Of course the healing power is present. And yet we're, we're going to see in a number of places that Jesus' healing power was managed to some degree simply by people's faith and that he couldn't always heal the way he might have wanted to. Now, that's not because his divinity was somehow compromised, but because <clears throat> Scripture tells us that when Jesus came to earth, he's God, yes, he's man, yes, and he remains God and remains man on earth, and he's still God and still man today. But Philippians 2 tells us that in some mysterious way, God, when Christ came to earth, that there were some aspects of his divinity, not that, were, that he lost, but that he hid himself from. And so, for example, when Jesus would be on the um, west shore of the Sea of Galilee, there around the area of Tiberias today, he was not on the east shore of the Sea of Galilee, even though God, by definition, is omnipresent. He's everywhere. 
Yet when Jesus was here on earth, he wasn't everywhere. And so there were things about Jesus as God that is kind of like a, a president, has a lot of money, he gets into office, he puts those things in, should, in blind trust, so he can't have access to him, so he's, so he's functioning in, um, as, as a president without trying to make money off of being a president. It's not a perfect parallel, but the idea that Jesus did not give up being God, but he, he, there were some abilities as God that were harnessed or that he was shielded from. I think that's what's going on here. The power to heal is present in great measure, and yet there were other times that that was not the case. Some, verse 18, some men came carrying a paralyzed man on a sleeping mat. They tried to take him inside to Jesus, but they couldn't reach him because of the crowd. So they went up to the roof and took off some tiles. Wouldn't you be a happy homeowner if that was your house? Took off some tiles, and then they lowered the sick man on his mat down into the crowd right in front of Jesus. Seeing their faith, Jesus said to the man, young man, your sins are forgiven. The Pharisees and teachers of the religious law said to themselves, who's he think he is? What's That's blasphemy. Only God can forgive sins. Jesus knew what they were thinking, and so he asked them, why do you question this in your hearts? Is it easier to say your sins are forgiven or stand up and walk? So I will prove to you that the Son of Man has the authority on earth to forgive sins. And then Jesus returned, uh, turned to the paralyzed man and said, Stand up, pick up your mat, go home. And immediately, as everyone watched, the man jumped up, picked up his mat, went home praising God. Everyone was gripped with great wonder and awe, and they praised God, exclaiming, we have seen amazing things today. Now, we're going to read through the Gospel of Luke. You can read through the other Gospel accounts as well, that God appears to be a God for all diseases. From the very start of Jesus' public ministry in chapter 4 of Luke, we see healings occurring. Verse 23, chapter 4, speaks about many miracles he did in Capernaum. We assume, based on his other miracle workings, that that included healings. Verse 39, he heals Peter's mother-in-law, who has a fever. Verse 40, it says that he healed many people. It describes uh, people coming to him with every kind of disease. We get to chapter 5, verse 13, he heals a leper, and now this paralyzed man. And we read through the Gospels and we see him healing uh, people who are blind, people who are lame, people who are deaf, who people can't speak, uh, a woman who's hemorrhaging, um, uh, ultimately death. He heals some people, brings them back from the dead, the uh, ultimate sickness. And so you can imagine why there is this steady stream of needy people to Jesus. One after the other, they hear uh, there's a guy going around. There's this rabbi who has a healing touch, and everybody's flooding to him. Probably that same thing would happen today, but even more so back then. They don't have the doctors. They don't have the hospitals. They don't have the medicines, the the recourses that, that we have. I've wondered already... And we look at some of the healers that are on television, and if you've been around here any time, you've heard me speak disparagingly about Benny Hinn. I don't have much to say about the others, but I have researched this man in depth. 
and he scares me to death. And I wonder why this man who has been so thoroughly discredited, but discredited by so many sources, all the professed healings and raising from the dead have just been utterly discredited. Why still does he, when he pitches a miracle crusade, have thousands and thousands and thousands of people? Why does he take in a couple hundred million dollars a year from people? One critic out of Trinidad says that it's because he has tapped into veins of despair. In other words, if, you, if, if the, if the um, medical people can't do anything for you, and you hear stories about someone who can do something for you, you're going to, you're going to try anything. If it's for a loved one, you're going to try anything. You're so in despair, there doesn't seem to be any hope Maybe, just maybe, this person can do something. And I think about these men who, who take their friend to Jesus. What a blessing to have friends that are not only going to take you to Jesus, but when they can't get through the front door, they're going up in the roof, they're going to dig a hole in the roof, and they're going to get their friend down to where he might have a chance and new life. And all of a sudden, Jesus is there speaking and teaching, and there's debris falling on the floor, and a mat comes down, and there's this man in front of him. And the Bible says that Jesus, seeing their faith, seeing their faith. And I assume that's the men that brought him as well as the man himself because Jesus' response to seeing their faith is he says, my son, your sins are forgiven. Now let me ask you, imagine, think of your best friend and can't walk and you decide to try to get him to see Jesus in hopes that he's going to do what? Forgive him his sins? heal him and the first thing out of Jesus mouth is son your sins are forgiven and like that's not why we're here <laughs> son your sins are forgiven we touched on this last week and Jesus goes right to the first need the priority need even if Jesus heals him someday He's probably going to get sick. And someday, he's going to eventually die. You ever think about what it must have been like to be Lazarus? Lazarus died. I don't know about you. I don't want to die. I, I, I'm good with, die, with death. I'm not good with dying. That's what I'm not a big fan of. Poor Lazarus, dying and then dies. Four days later, Jesus says, Lazarus, come forth. And his sisters are like, he's going to smell bad, isn't he? Lazarus gets up, walks out of the tomb. You ever think about this? Sometime later, that poor guy has to go through dying all over again. That just sounds awful. 
And I've, I've thought already, I, you know, if, if I'm at the end of my life and I have a choice between dying and going to be with the Lord, and I say the end of my life, you know, kind of run a, a, an 80-year course or something, versus um, being healed and know that maybe in a year I've got to go through this all over again, I, I think that'd be an easy call for me at 80. Not now, but then. And yet, because Jesus sees the biggest need. Sickness has come and go, and we die. The impact of our sinfulness endures. Son, your sins are forgiven. Now, the religious leaders hanging around just go nuts in their minds. They don't say anything, but they're, in their minds they're going, he's blaspheming. And we should cut them some slack. They're spot on. They didn't know he was God. If, if somebody around you, uh, let's say a Sunday after uh, church service one day, um, you overhear somebody saying to another person, your sins are forgiven, or I forgive you your sins, you're going, who do you think you are? Now, if you sin against me, I can forgive you for sinning against me, but if you sin against me or anybody else, the, the number one person you've sinned against is God, right? You know what Dave, King David says after his sin with Bathsheba and Uriah have been exposed? In Psalm 51, he says to God, against you and you only have I sinned. He didn't mean nobody else was affected by my sin, but he meant compared to Uriah and Bathsheba, my sin against you was far more heinous because Bathsheba was a sinner, Uriah was a sinner, but you're not. And so every time I sin against you or someone out here, my greatest offense is against God. And so I may forgive you for sinning against me, you may forgive me for sinning against you, but neither of us can forgive the other for sinning against God. Or sins are forgiven. Now Jesus asked them, okay, which would be easier? They see the guy has a physical problem. Which would be easier to forgive sins, to say your sins are forgiven, or to say um, your body is healed? Which would be easier? Now again, no blood test to be taken to authenticate that this man's sins have actually been forgiven. There's no, no x-ray that can be taken to verify it. There, there, there's nothing to prove that you have been forgiven of your sins. So Jesus says, all right, I'll heal him. Because that can't be done. That's, that's not normally done. I'll heal him. And if I heal him, then you must agree that what I said to him first, I could do. And so he says, I will, verse 24, I will prove to you that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He turned to the paralyzed man, stand up, pick up your mat, go home, and voila, he does. Jesus was basically trying to bring to home to everybody in that room the most important thing is spiritual healing. Physical healing, glorious. But the most important thing, spiritual healing. 
Now, let me just drop in a little footnote here in Jesus' ministry of healing and all of the miracles that he did while he was here on earth. The Gospel of John especially drives this point home again and again and again. There's a Greek word for signs, semion, and you see that word pop up throughout that key gospel saying that Jesus did this as a sign. What's a sign? You're driving down the road, you see a sign, it says motel three miles ahead. That sign is not the motel. That sign is pointing to the motel. And with things that Jesus was doing again and again and again in the Gospels were meant to be a sign pointing to a greater reality. This is one example of a verse, John 12, 37. Despite all the miraculous signs Jesus had done, most of the people still did not believe in him. In other words, the things that Jesus was doing were pointing to authenticating his Messiahship, his being here on a mission from God, his service the king and yet how many times those signs fell on deaf ears those signs fell on blind eyes Jesus would do this and do this and do this and do this all these things great wonders and people yawn and finally Jesus one day said okay no more signs going to be given to you except the sign of Jonah. Just as, the son, uh, just as he was in the belly of the fish for three days, so the Son of Man will be in the heart of the earth for three days. Then will rise again. That's the sign you need. That's the big sign. That matters more than the healing sign. That matters more than the multiplication of the food sign. I want to get you to there. All of this is pointing over there. And that is partly the explanation for why we do not always see what we want to see happen in our bodies and in the bodies of our loved ones. And yet we're left with questions. Who is this God and how does he work? My heading in the first part of this text in Luke is the God is a God for all diseases, but he is also a God for all seasons, even the difficult ones. When our body is breaking up and medical professionals say, I'm sorry, we can't do anything else for you. I love it when doctors say, we've run out of options. Now all we can do is pray. And I'm like, all we can do? Are you kidding me? All we can do? That's really the greatest thing that we can do. Who is this God and how does he work? I want to make just a, a, a couple of main points here and then draw some conclusions. Unfortunately, some believers have concluded that God does not have the ability to do the things, all the things that we'd love to see him do. Mark chapter 10, let me take you there. Mark chapter 10, the book in front of Luke, verse 27. It seems as though sometimes some Christians want to give God an out, like they're, we're trying to defend his reputation. <clears throat> Jesus looked at them intently and said, humanly speaking, it's impossible. This is about the discussion uh, of why it's so difficult for a rich person to be saved. 
And that was confusing to the disciples because they figured rich people had, the fact that they were rich proved that God was blessing them. And so if they can't be saved, like who can be saved? And just as Jesus' response, humanly speaking, it is impossible, but not with God. And does your Bible say some things are possible with God? Does it say um, many things are possible with God? Or does your Bible say like mine, everything is possible with God? How many have that in your Bible? Everything. And so it simply won't do to give God a pass and say, well, um, you know, I have type 2 diabetes and I prayed for God's healing and it didn't heal me. So he must not have been, that must be kind of above his ability. No, God has unlimited power. I mean, you, you see that from Genesis to Revelation. God has unlimited power. Who is this God and how does he work? Well, he is a compassionate God. Again, Mark chapter 1, verse 41. And it is tempting, isn't it? When you suffer so grievously in the body, maybe in the mind, suffer so grievously, you're like, if I was God and I knew that this person felt like I feel, I'd heal him. Mark 1, 41. These are the kind of verses that might be good to highlight in your Bible because you might need them someday if you don't today. Moved with compassion. Moved with compassion. Jesus reached out and touched this leper, and he said, I am willing, he said, be healed. Let me take you to a verse in John. John chapter 1, verse 18. John chapter 1 is the whole chapter speaking about Jesus and where he's come from and what he's come to do. And verse 18 says, No one has ever seen God, but the unique one, and this is a reference to Christ, the God-man, but the unique one who is himself God is near to the Father's heart. And then we have this line. He has revealed God to us. So when it says that Jesus was filled with compassion, we should be reading back into that his Father's heart. That God his Father is filled with compassion. And so when we're suffering grievously and we're not sure we can take anymore, we may not understand how that is integrated with God's compassion, but we can be reassured that God is compassionate with us. You know, the Bible tells us that there is a gift of healing that the Holy Spirit gives. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9. I don't understand how that works. I don't have the gift. I've never met anybody with the gift. Back to Benny Hinn's critic in Trinidad, he says, the next time he comes to Trinidad... Why doesn't Benny, instead of going to a place like Madison Square Garden or the Houston Astrodome, why doesn't he go to the hospitals? And I'm like, amen. If you've been given the gift of healing, you should haunt hospitals. You should be in the doctor's offices. Go, go where the sick people typically go. 
And my guess is that you feel that way. If God gave you the gift of healing, you would knock yourself out to heal people. And so we're left with this question, so why doesn't God, who has the gift of healing, why doesn't he heal everyone? When we read this story about a paralyzed man, it, any of the stories about Christ healing people, it's tempting to take that little story and say, okay, here's a model. This is how we do healing. This is how it, this is how it gets accomplished. There's a formula, A plus B equals C. A number of years ago, there was a, a man in the area here. He had come from an African country. I don't remember which. It might have been a Nigeria. And he was speaking to a number of us pastors. He, he wanted to come and speak in our churches and say, well, you know, he, had, he said, I'm, I'm a missionary to America from whatever country he was from. And, um, and we said, well, what, what do you typically speak on? He says, I... I teach on deliverance and on healing. And as I probed, you know, found out that he had a formula for healing, which in his mind, if you did the formula just right, this is always going to be the consequence. I'm like, but does, even in the scripture, we don't see that. I mean, Jesus healed in so many different ways. You know, he's spitting. Wouldn't you be, like to be the guy, Jesus spits in the mud and he puts his muddy spit on your eyes to heal your blindness. I'm like, ugh. But he didn't do that any other time that way. You can't reduce this to some formula. And so the paralyzed man's healing is not a model for us. Here's part of the problem. God is not a machine. It's not a problem. Part of the explanation. God's not a machine. God's not a mechanical collection of parts that if you insert certain things, like a vending machine, then you always get this kind of result. He's, he's a personable, personal and personable being. He's in relationship with you. He's in relationship with me. And so if you're married, for example, you're in relationship with another person, you don't always act the same way with that person. You, you, you hear certain things they say and hear th other things they don't say, and you see a situation that's a little different than the one yesterday, and you're not going to react the identical way you reacted yesterday to your spouse because you're in relationship, and we're not just a collection of mechanical parts. We, we, we have to wrestle here for just a second before I go on with the, um, why it seems as if God doesn't do some things that he promises to do. So let me take you to John 15, 7. Jesus says, But if you remain in me and my words remain in you, so there's a conditional clause here. The abiding or the remaining has to be in effect. You may ask for anything you want, finish it with me, and it will be granted. That's one of I, we could go to like six different passages in Scripture, most of them in the Gospels, that promise us the moon, seemingly. 
and we say, why? I've asked to be healed months, years, and instead I get worse. And I think I'm abiding. I think I'm remaining. I don't see evidence of rebellion against God. I don't know that, you know, am I failing? At it? I'm not reading enough Bible. I'm not praying enough. I No, I don't think that's the issue. Let's go back to 1 John chapter 5. And I don't know if this will help you or not, but it's helped me for 25 years. Verse 14, beginning of verse 14, 1 John 5. And we are confident that God hears us whenever we ask for anything that pleases him. And since we know he hears us when we make our requests, we also know that he will give us what we ask for. And if verse 15 stood alone, then we would have a situation like we just read in John 15, 7. But it doesn't stand alone. It has a qualifier in verse 14. He hears us whenever we ask for anything that pleases him, or your text may say, according to his will. And here's the thing. We must let God be God. We must let God be God. And sometimes he understands and grasps things that you and I can't even begin to approach understanding of. And that passage in Isaiah 55, 8, 9 has always given me comfort hasn't always explained things, but it's given me comfort. God's ways, God's thoughts, so much higher than mine. What I value, what I cherish, what I think matters most, maybe not to God. He sees what I don't see. He understands what I don't understand. So then let's ask the question, what matters to God? What matters most to God? Will that, will Answering that question, at least with a few answers, help us in interpreting the times when God says no, when we ask for divine healing. Let me take you first to John chapter 9, verse 3. I usually get to this passage when I teach on God's sovereign power. Because the, on the face of it, the, a man is healed. But the backstory is that God had him born with a disability so that in a future day he could heal him. Does that sound compassionate? Start at verse 1. As Jesus was walking along, he saw a man who had been born blind from birth. Rabbi, his disciples asked him, why was this man born blind? Was it because of his own sins or his parents' sins? Now, that's, that's how the Jews in Jesus' day um, interpreted Disabilities, any kind of deficiency, poverty, anything, anything that was a kind of a black mark against you, they interpreted as it was a punishment from God. Maybe even going so far as a child commits some sin in the womb that he's responsible for. And Jesus says, verse 3, it was not because of his sins or his parents' sins. This happened so that the power of God could be seen in him. Now, we don't know how old he is. Let's just say for argument, he's 25 years old. That means that God caused him 
to be born blind so that at a future day, Jesus, after 25 years of blindness, might open his eyes as a sign to the glory of God. Now, that should take our breath away. It should make us stop and ask, what is it that God knows that I don't know that makes this worthwhile? And the simple answer, but the difficult answer is, God's glory matters more than anything else, including my life and my health and my wealth and the retention of my job and the ability to have children, God's glory matters. He is the most glorious being in the entire universe. Why wouldn't his glory matter most? My development also matters to God. We're not going to go here. We're running out of time. But remember, as we looked at the story of Job last year, in Job chapter 2, Satan was negotiating with God to unleash his horrors on Job's life because he thought Job only followed God, served God, worshiped God because everything went well for him. And Satan was trying to get at Job so he could prove to God, hey, he's just following you because you make things good for him. And in chapter 2, God says, all right, you can afflict his body. And the Bible says that Satan brought these horrific boils on Job's body that made him miserable. And you're like, really? God, don't you care about it? And you read through the story of Job, and we see at the end where things come for Job. And Job got a new vision of who God was out of all that. He was eventually healed, but he went through some agonizing days. God was up to something bigger than simply having his body work for him day in and day out. Um, Let me take you to this passage, 2 Corinthians. This is pretty pivotal. 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Paul tells a story about the day that he was taken up to heaven, got to see things nobody else gets to see. And in response to that, uh, middle of verse 7, Paul says, So to keep me from being pr- becoming proud, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger from Satan to torment me and keep me from becoming proud. Now, there's a lot of debate about what this was. Some people think it was uh, enemies working against him, but most Uh, Bible students conclude that it was some sort of physical infirmity, that that the word flesh there is used intentionally. Um, We know he had eye problems, perhaps glaucoma. Uh, We know Paul, um, we think that he might have had malaria, some tips uh, in the text about that, but some sort of physical infirmity. And Paul's response was, verse 8, three times, I begged the Lord to take it away. Each time, this is a man who's healed other people, had the gift of healing, could not heal himself, begs God to heal him. Each time, God's response is this. My grace is all you need. My power works best in weakness. Is it any big chore to follow God when things are going well in your life? Is it hard? 
Is it hard to follow God when everything is unraveling in your life and you're not sure you can survive another day? Which redounds to greater glory to God? And which transforms us? Do you see what, pe- what Paul responded to after this? So now I am glad to boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ can work through me. Now, let me give you two more points of what matters to God. What matters to God, first of all, his glory. Second of all, our development. These things impinge on our seeking divine healing. Faith matters. We don't have time to look at that, but at almost every instance where Jesus heals, he makes some comment about their faith. Now, unfortunately, I think some Christians have misrepresented what that means. It's kind of like, it's, it's kind of a faith pep rally, and I work myself up. I believe, I really, really, really believe that's, that's not it. You go to Mark chapter 9 when this man has a uh, son who's demonized and he goes to Jesus and Jesus says, if it's possible, you know, we heal my son. Jesus says, if it's possible, everything is possible if you believe. And the man responds this way. I love this. I believe. Help me in my unbelief. He's conveying that his belief is checkered. <laughs> it's tainted. It's not pristine. It's not perfect. But he believes. And it's not about believing that God is going to do X in X situation. It is believing that God can do anything he wants in X situation and in any other situation. I don't have to believe that God's going to heal me of my autoimmune disease in order to have faith that God, have faith in God. It's a settled resting in whatever he wants, wants to do. But faith is essential. If you're a materialist, I don't mean in terms of your stuff, but I mean that your, your trust is only in what he, is it here and now, what you can touch, taste, smell, hear, and see. That's not faith. Faith matters, and prayer matters. Let me give you a reference for that. James chapter 4, verse 2, where James says, you do not have because you do not ask. You do not have because you do not ask. How many times have you gotten sick And the first thing you do is call the doctor, and like two days later, you think, I haven't even asked God to heal me yet. I haven't prayed about this. It's like the last thing is so instinctive to call the doctor, get medicine. And let me just say uh, that in closing. I'm going to give you four suggestions in the face of disease, injury, sickness. One, let's pray sooner. Let's pray sooner. We have a healer. He's not with a particular medical group. Dr. Jesus. Let's pray sooner. Secondly, let's pray more. Our brothers and sisters in places where they do not have access to medical clinics. I was reading the other day about uh, someone, I think it was in Ghana. I was reading about a brother who walked five hours to a clinic uh, only to find there was no staff there, no doctor, no nurse, and they had no medicine for him. And these brothers and sisters tell us that when they get sick, this is prayer. I mean, just boom, prayer. Why? We don't have any other resources. And maybe it is that we have almost too many resources at 
cripples our faith. So I would say pray sooner, pray more. Third, nourishing our faith more. Nourishing our faith more. Paul says in Romans that faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. Your faith is going to be nourished and grow through the word of God as you see the work of God uh, in, this, in the scriptures. Prayer, same prayer, great um, way to nourish our faith. And then lastly, what did Jesus say to that young man? Son, your sins are forgiven. At the end of the day, whether we are healed or not healed, let's rest in the gospel of Jesus Christ that has solved our most important problem. Broken relationship with a holy God. I know we want to be healed. And I know God can heal us. And we should seek healing. But in Christ, if you know Christ, you and I have been healed of the ultimate disease. And that gives me great hope. And I hope it does you as well. Father, thank you for the good news of Jesus Christ. Thank you for the signs and pictures that we see when Jesus was here on earth. And we wish that kind of, kind of what seems to be like this kind of endless stream of healing were taking place today. I suspect that there is healing that you desire to do that we never receive because we forgot to ask or our faith was solely in the medical profession. We, we haven't really applied it to you. Or maybe we think it's something too big for you. And yet I also think that while we should reach out and grasp for divine healing, that the, the big picture for us is that in Christ, we've been healed already. We've been healed of something far worse than the stomach flu, far worse than MS, far worse than Crohn's, far worse than diabetes, far worse even than cancer. And for that we rejoice and give you much thanks.